come up and uh, give a testimony uh, of just uh, God's goodness. And so this is John Baxter. He's going to come on up, and he's just going to give us a testimony of uh, what the Lord's done in his life. Actually, I would rather go into a burning building than do this. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think most people know that uh, we've been here about 12 years now, and uh, we actually, uh, it's been a real blessing to be here in many, many ways. And if many people know me, I'm a bit of an itchy britches. That's a, a northern English expression for somebody who's got ants in their pants. And, uh, and really, I've uh, been very active. You know, I'm in the, still in the fire department. And I ride my enduro dirt bike, and I ride my bicycle, and all the rest of it. And life is pretty darn good. However, I need my glasses. Have you ever wondered what God kind of tries to teach us every now and then? You know, sometimes we need a two-by-four slapped up the side of our head, and sometimes we really need to be just put to one side. And I've been wondering what God's been trying to teach me. Is it patience? I don't have an awful lot of that, unfortunately. Margaret says, maybe it's be still and know that I am God. And it's hard to listen when you've always got a brain that keeps zipping away all the time and the body that wants to do things. Anyway, a while ago, COVID happened. This changed this church immensely. We were meeting at Creekside. A lot of people moved away. A lot of people came. Then we've got this building here, which has been a fantastic blessing. And then, because of COVID, we missed our youngest son's wedding, uh, which was a bit of a blow. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> and then uh, one morning I woke up and there was all something wrong in my left eye. By the end of the day, I could hardly see. And because I was very active and I re re really needed a lot of depth perception in everything I did, whether it was riding the bikes or riding the motorbike or with the fire department, very, very crucial is having two good eyes. And all of a sudden I couldn't see by the end of the day. That was a bit worrying. Two days after that, I was supposed to be flying to see my mother, who was 91. She's now 92 and still, still telling me what to do. <laughs> so with all those wor worrisome things, luckily enough, I managed to go and see uh, a specialist. And it was a very easy, very normal thing for a lot of people. It was just a retina that was detaching. It happens quite a lot. And basically, they just get a laser out and just glue it back, back together again. And then they fill your eye full of nitrogen. Then you've got to look at the floor for, 12, for seven days. That is the worst bit. <clears throat> anyway, so that happened. And then, unfortunately, a little while later, it all happened all again. And unfortunately, um, a scar, a scab was actually forming on the, on the retina. And the retina is incredibly thin. And the poor surgeon actually had to go inside my eye with a pair of tweezers and peel this membrane off my retina, which is a kind of a, you know, that was a bit painful. <laughs> and then, guess what? A bit later, it was happening all again. He says, this only happens within like one in two percent of people. So it was happening again. And the, the only way they can glue it back on there is weld it again with a laser. 
is actually now go and put a rubber ring around my eyeball to try and hold it steady. That was really painful. Anyway, that was, that was part of that. So by now, I'm really, really, really wondering what God's trying to teach me. I couldn't raise my blood pressure. I couldn't ride my bike. I couldn't go to the fire department. All the things I'm normally doing that you normally accept, even putting two wires together to solder them together, you couldn't do because your depth perception had all gone and you were missing it rather than just going like that. All those little things that you never accept in life. You know, I've broken knees, I've broken backs. You get, you get over it. But I sight something different. Anyway, finally, it's starting to go back together. I've only got one more operation left, which is an easy one, I believe. But the surgeon said to me, he says, this hardly ever, ever happens. And he said, so few people. He says, but I've never known anybody so unlucky where everything was going wrong three times. He said, but I've never known anybody so fortunate because every time we were coming to a follow-up, guess what? The operating theater was available the very next day. So when everything was going wrong, everything lined up that he could squeeze me in, even though he did one operation at 10 o'clock at night, he got me in and we got it fixed. He said, apart from never knowing anybody quite so unlucky, and so lucky, he says, you know, I think somebody's been watching over you. And I have to thank all these kids and all the people that were praying for us because without God's love and without all you people praying for me, that I wouldn't be there today. Today, I can see, well, hopefully after the last operation, but I can see almost 2020. If I close my eyes and I open it up, I've got two, two of you for a little while because this kind of rubber ring around the eye kind of slows everything down. But anyway, I can see 100% within reason. Things are a bit different, but I'm back at the fire department, not quite on full, full duty, and I'm definitely riding my enduro motorbike. And I did get to see my mother. She's 92. She had an accident. Broke her neck. <laughs> and on the way back, guess what? I got COVID. <laughs> so life is really, really good. We have to look for the blessings in life. And with your prayers and with God's help, we can seriously overcome so many, many, many things. Kids, thanks a lot for all your prayers. It was brilliant. God listens. God's with us all the time. We just have to remember that, even in spite of all our failings, and I've got more than most. Thanks, God. Thank you. For your John, as he obviously won more surgery, and even just for his mom as she recovers and whatnot. And so we're going to pray for you right now. Father, we thank you for, for this testimony, Lord. We thank you that... Um, Lord, that John can see you with him, Lord, and he amazingly, Lord, continued to turn to you, Lord, in the midst of everything that he was going through, and it was awesome to see his heart in the midst of it, Lord, and that is a testament to 
the person that you've created in your spirit within him, Jesus. And so we pray as he enters into this one last surgery that your grace will be upon him, Lord. We pray for his mom, Lord, as she recovers uh, from her injuries, Lord. We pray that, uh, Lord, she will recover well. We pray for peace for John as he's all the way over here as she's there in England recovering. So, Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful man. We thank you for the power of prayer, Lord, that we can constantly come to you, Lord, with everything that uh, we are going through. And, Lord, you hear us. Lord, and we trust that as you hear us, Lord, you work. And so, blessings, and thank you so much, Father. Amen. All right, again, unique Sunday. So many different things we got going on. Um, we want to honor our graduates uh, this Sunday. And so, we've got two grads with us, and they're really shy. And so, <laughs> this is like, and so, I think they're going to come on up. I hope so. Kate Dobson, Maya. No, Maya's not coming. No. <laughs> Everyone's shaking their head. So I was given really strict rules, you know, we're not going to make them say anything. Uh, so they're just going to stand here, and then uh, this is Kate, and this is Maya. They have both graduated this year, uh, and we are going to just pray for them as they enter into the next phase of being grown-ups and making decisions and being responsible and doing all those great things that we keep telling them one day it's going to happen. And so uh, why don't we invite the parents to come on up? Uh, I want you to lay your hands on your child here, and then we're going to pray for them. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these young women, Lord, and we thank you for the skills and the gifts and the talents that you've given them, Lord. Uh, and it's been great uh, to see them grow, Lord. Maya for a short time here, and Kate for most of all of her life here at Willow Park, and we are excited to see what you have next for these two wonderful women. Lord, we pray, Lord, as they take these next steps into life, Lord, and as they begin to work or school, wherever it is that you may lead them, Lord, we pray that they would constantly focus on you, Jesus, Lord, that they would know that you are near, Lord, that know that you have good plans for them, Lord, that you have things that you want to... Uh, Lord, to see accomplished within their life, Lord, because you have a plan and a purpose and you have a deep care for your creation, Lord. And so we know that, Lord, the best life is through you, Jesus. And we ask that these two will continue to remember that as they take the next step and they take the step after that and they take the step after that, that they will constantly focus on you and ask you, Lord, to lead them and guide them as they go through life. And so... Lord, we thank you for the work that they've put in to get to this point. Lord, that they were able to celebrate via, with their families and fellow uh, friends, Lord, this accomplishment. And so we just pray blessing upon them as they continue into this next phase of life. In your name we pray. Amen. I have a gift, so don't go. Wait, wait, wait. I know. You, I said amen and you're gone. And so <laughs> they're like, we did it. You get to pick first. Which can <laughs> there you go. Thank you guys so much for being so brave. You did it. I have a short message for you. It's already 10.50. Uh, we want to wrap up here soon so we can then uh, go outside and get ready. And then also we can tear down our stuff here. 
but we are going to look at John 13, 1 to 17. Uh, and we're continuing our series in John, uh, and we're working through these themes in John, and recently we've been working through uh, spirit, our spirit, like Christ cares about our soul. He cares about who we are. He cares about the people that he has created us to be, and he wants us to even become. And so we see we've through these messages these last two weeks that when he was in the temple, you know, we come into this relationship with him. We get this picture of this wedding. It's a celebration. And then right after the wedding scene is the temple scene. And that temple is a place that represents our heart. And he wants to come in. He wants to do some work. And so, uh, but he first, you know, it doesn't say get better. Or he doesn't first turn over tables and, you know, like a bad house guest and come in and break down the door and say, you need to change this. He comes in and wants to have a relationship with you. And he wants to celebrate this uh, relationship together. And so we get this beautiful image of a wedding. And then he comes and he wants to work on our hearts. And then last week we saw the woman at the well where he begins to, you know, hey, let's work on these specific things. And we see he calls these things out within this woman who is really, she's gone through life. And there is so much uh, to the story that we can unpack and we can layers that we can peel back. But he wants, he cares about her and he comes and he meets with her, and he wants to move her forward uh, in freedom. And so, now we're going to see this foot washing that happens. We're like, how does this have to do with my spirit? Well, we're going to find out. So, if you have your Bibles, you can open to John 13. If not, uh, it's going to pop up here on the screen. So, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, Do you not realize now what I'm doing? But you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash your feet, wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered to those who had Jesus answered, Those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, feet washing is a very intimate practice, and th there's something that seems to be um, about feet that seem to be very intimate, uh, and I don't know what it is. Like, if I put a picture of my foot up on the screen, you know, it would be disgusting. It would be, uh, you know, barf bags and stuff like that, right? It would be, uh, be needed to put in the pews. But it's just like showing your feet is just something that just seems like it's just a bit personal. Somebody touching your feet, though, on the other hand, that seems very intimate, very personal. Uh, and so for those who don't know what Jesus is about to do here in this scene, it is actually a normal activity for this time. It was a religious act. Uh, they washed hands and feet in hot water before Sabbath. Uh, and it is actually a token of hospitality that we see throughout uh, 
throughout the Bible before they entered someone's home. Their feet got washed. They didn't have the designer shoes uh, like we have today. Like you can see today, I'm wearing my Nikes. And you're like, was the pastor usually wear Nikes on a Sunday? But it's block party Sunday. And so the Nikes come out. And so um, they were mostly barefoot or they wore sandals in this time. And the roads were dusty. They were dirty. And they had animal droppings on it. Uh, and it was all like this through the community. And recently I was in Portland and I was like thinking of this and I was like, that almost reminded me of Portland right there. I like Portland's kind of wild right now. Uh, I was like walking through the city and there was dirt. There was, I never walked past so much human feces on a road in my life. It was unbelievable. And then there's rats. I was like, what is happening? And so the last time I was there 16 years ago when I went to school and I was like, this is crazy. And so so it's like walking in Portland barefoot. And so just to wrap that picture in your mind. In Luke 7, when Simon the Pharisee doesn't wash Jesus' feet, it was interpreted as this actually gesture of hostility. It's like there's something wrong with the relationship between Simon and Jesus. And it was this menial job that was done. That according to some Jewish sources, Jewish slaves were actually exempt from the job because it was only kept for the Gentiles. And if we've remembered, Gentiles, they're dirty to Jewish people, and so we give them the foot washing duty because that's a dirty job. Now, it was seen as just, just degrading, lowly task, foot washing. Unless when your wife did it for a husband, a child for his parents, or a pupil for his teacher. And when this happened, uh, it was an act of this extreme devotion for that person. It was like the extreme care and love for that person. But in no way would you find someone of higher status washing the feet of those beneath them. That's just not what's going to happen. So when Jesus takes off his outer garment and he wraps a towel around himself, he is adopting this posture as the lowliest. He's actually, it's reversed, right? They're his teacher. And he's now doing what they should be doing uh, for him. So what drove him to do this? Well, what is now done is done in this, this supreme act of love. And we have to think back to the good shepherd of chapter 10. The shepherd, right, he loves his own sheep is what it says. And they love him in return. And the greatest thing that the shepherd can do for them is then to lay down his life, right? To serve them, to look after them, to care for them, uh, to put his life in uh, harm for his sheep. To be the one who's like, you know what, you're lowly, but I need to protect you and I'm looking after you. And we see this picture of this good shepherd. Now... Says John in the beginning of this chapter, he loved them right through to the end. He loved them right through to the end. Not just with this determined to see it through love. Like, you know, since I loved you at the beginning, I'm not really fond of you right now, but I'm going to keep loving you because, you know what, I don't want to do a job 90%. He loved them right to the end. Right to the end. And this was this act of showing this love almost right to the end because we're going to see the next act is going to be the act of uh, extreme love that he's going to do. He loved them to the uttermost. There was nothing that love could do for them that he did not um, now do for them. And so right after that verse, we see Jesus say this. There was no doubt that Jesus was secure in his identity because John 13, 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus put his trust in the Father that he was completely loved. He completely trusted in his Father. He completely trusted in the one who's, that, um, he, that loves him. He had a future. 
And he knew his sacrifice that he was going to then happen here very soon after this scripture had a purpose. So being secure in who he was, he was able to love others perfectly. Not feeling inferior because he was serving them. And when we know we are fully loved and when we know our identity comes from Jesus, we don't have to try to get it from our status or our position in life. We then can begin to serve freely and not be worried about what my people think about, about us. We might be worried about, you know what, how uncomfortable it might make us. So be worried about, you know what, what the word on the street might be about me because, you know what, I'm doing this for other people. And this is what Jesus wants us to know, that we can serve, love, be there for others, knowing that we are secure in him. We are secure, our identity is wrapped up in him. It doesn't make us less than somebody when we go maybe and do something that we feel is like not worth our time. It might make us uncomfortable, but it connects us to Jesus. And we become more like the person than we were created to be. We become more like Christ and who he wants us to become. So security in your identity gives you freedom to serve. And this is an understanding we see throughout life. Malachi, he plays shortstop. And so it's his favorite position. He plays every game there except when he has to pitch. Uh, he is secure within this position. Uh, there are times, you know, when it might feel uncomfortable. You know, a ball comes a bit harder or whatnot. But he freely moves and plays without worry uh, because he's secure in there. That's just what he's comfortable in. That's, he feels like he's been created to play shortstop. And you know what? And that he just loves it. But you move him to third base. Oh, it's a whole new story. You might think it's just one base over. It's like 20 feet to his right. How is that such a big deal? He doesn't find security there. Uh, it's hard for him to move, overthinks it all, plays different than he does. He gets really worried. What are people thinking? What are people saying? He's looking at other people for answers. He's not just like not confident in what he's supposed to be doing. Christ calls us to know how we are created and knows, or calls us to know where our identity is and it's wrapped up in him. And when we are, know that we are loved by Christ and when we see this picture of who Jesus is and what he's come to do, then we can then become who he wants us to be. We can serve freely. We can go out into this world comfortably, helping others, knowing that, hey, this is the person I'm created to be. This is how Jesus created me to go, to help, to love others. Now, the story continues, and I'm going to wrap up here soon. You're like, well... Jeremy, this is the best sermon in the whole entire world. And so, um, but this is what I wanted us to take today. It just flows into what we're going to do right after the service. I hope you can see this. The scripture continues. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So in verse 15, Jesus is giving his followers a pattern to copy. The word... Uh, he uses here in the ancient world is a picture that showing someone how something's supposed to be done, 
it's like a tracing that someone else should follow. Have you ever traced in your life? You know, you printed off something and you wanted to draw it just perfectly. So you get another piece of paper, you put it over the one, and then you begin to trace. And then you show your mom, and she's like, did you do that all by yourself? Like, yeah, I did. And, so, and then she gives you a snack, and you're like, oh, I'm going to keep tracing for the rest of my life. And so uh, I'm going to be an artist. Uh, it's like filling in the details, this pattern. And this pattern sets Jesus' followers a task that can be laborious, requiring maybe a strain not only on the eyes, but on the nerves, the will, the heart, and the energy that we shouldn't be surprised. Maybe sometimes we fail to get it right. But Jesus, having washed his disciples' feet, declares that he has established a pattern now for all of us to follow. The point is that For us, as for Jesus, we should be looking away from ourselves and we should then be looking at the world we are supposed to be involved in, we're supposed to be serving in, we're supposed to be working in, we're supposed to have our hands and feet in. Where the world's needs and our vocation meet is where we should be. Ready to take on maybe insignificant roles if God wants them. For us to take them on, or maybe to take on publicly visible roles, if that's so you're calling. And as with Jesus, the picture of foot washing is meant to serve not only as a picture of all sorts of menial tasks that we may be called to perform, but it's calling us to draw attention to somebody else. We are supposed to come to serve, to love others. And it points to this much, much bigger challenge. The challenge that Jesus issued to Peter in the last chapter of this book. The challenge to follow Jesus all the way to the cross to lay down our life itself in the service of God, the world that actually God has come to serve. Disciples were all concerned, right? We'll see throughout scriptures. They're all concerned with about who would be the greatest in heaven. That was always something that they were talking about. But Jesus reminded them that true greatness is actually this great paradox that they don't even totally understand. Men never earn the respect of others by forced obedience, but they earn the respect of others by first being a servant. And Jesus says that the path to greatness is this through humility. And there's so many of these great paradoxes in faith. The way to life is through death. How does that make sense? The way to get is actually to give. And the way to greatness is becoming a servant to others. And we live in a world where everyone, it seems, is looking to get all that they can get. But this attitude opposes that to one of our Lord. He is willing to make himself the servant of all. And as a result, God exalted him and given him a name that is above everybody else. Josh, I'm going to invite you to come on up. And today, we have an opportunity to serve. We have an opportunity to be the hands and the feet. We have an opportunity to step outside. And you know what? And we hope that people are coming. We hope that you've invited people. You know, flyers have been up. Posts have been on, made on Facebook and whatnot. And we hope that people come. And we want to say, hey, this is who we are. This is where we meet. We want to have conversations with people. Because you know what? We never know what can come through a conversation. We always want to create the opportunity for the Lord to speak and for him to use us as a vessel.
And you might think, how does this do with my spirit, right? We constantly, for the first two weeks, we talked about the Lord coming in and working on us and working on us and working on us and then working on things in our life that maybe we're kind of holding back within our hearts that we don't want him to touch or look at. But after he does that, he calls us to do this, to serve. Because serving does something to our spirit. Washing, however the feet may look of those around us, does something to our spirit. There's something beautiful that comes through laying down our life for somebody else, for being the hands and feet, maybe when somebody else, they are having trouble move or having trouble working. Maybe having a conversation with somebody that just actually just encourages them and just does everything for them in that moment. That's the beauty of laying down our lives for one another. That then we see things happen within our lives and their lives. And so today we wash feet. I'm not actually having like a foot washing service. Everyone was like, well, and so um, that's why the buckets are outside and there's water. Uh, but we wash feet in the way of being the hands and the feet by being out in our community, by saying, I'm here to meet new people. I'm here. And you know what? I might not like talking to people all the time, but I'm okay being uncomfortable knowing the Spirit is going to work through me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you call us to serve. Lord, we don't always want, just want to be focused on I, I, I. Lord, of course you want to work on us as individuals. You want to work on our hearts, Lord, because you care about us, Lord. But then you call us to go, to be, Lord. And you give us this beautiful picture of what you are calling then the disciples to do. Yes, it was about washing feet, Lord, but it was the, what that meant, Lord. It was you serving. It was you now saying, this is what you must do for others. What I'm doing right now. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Lord, we thank you that we are even here because of somebody else's service in the lives of us or in the lives of our parents or even in the lives of our grandparents if it's been a generational Christianity that you've come through. Lord, somebody has gone out to serve, to wash the feet of somebody, and we are pictures of that, that humility. So, Lord, we want to constantly remind ourselves to be humble, to love, and to serve. In your name we pray. Amen.